Good day, everyone. Today is December 29, and we are still in that festive season. Within another two or three days, it will be the new year, and generally there is much hustling and bustling around this time. However, I do hope and trust that you do make the time to listen the previous study, and probably even a couple of times, so that it will be clear in your minds what is developing here. Today is the 13th installment in the series and the third study since we started the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel. And we continue today seeking to focus more upon that entity upon which the prophet himself was most intently focused, the little horn power. But today's topic is the saints will inherit the kingdom. Now, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 19, that righteousness tendeth to life. So he that pursues evil pursues it to his own death. In other words, righteousness produces life, but evil wears itself out and ultimately self-destructs. It works out its own destruction. But notice, it says righteousness tends towards or produces life. That means that in the way of righteousness, there is life. And this same thought is told to us in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 28. It says, In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. And that is why, dear friends, God's kingdom is the kingdom of life. That is why God's kingdom is the only one that can promise eternal life. Because God's kingdom is the kingdom of righteousness. And righteousness, as we've seen in the two scriptures above, is self-perpetuating. In other words, one says righteousness tends towards life. And another says in the pathway of righteousness, there is no death. So righteousness promotes life. And because God is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works, as we're told in Psalm 145, and verse 17, it means, therefore, dear friends, that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of everlasting righteousness, the kingdom of everlasting life. But sin results in death, and therefore within the dominions of Satan, within the realm of earthly governments, as we have seen in the prophecy symbolized by terrible vicious beasts, they can only rip each other apart. As worldly kingdoms fight each other and strive for power, for control, for dominion over each other. We recognize that in Satan's system of things, there is no righteousness involved. All there is is selfishness, pride and self-exaltation. A struggle for power by the use of arms, by the use of violent force, by the means of wars. And that means, therefore, that the kingdoms of this world... The earthly empires operate by principles that are totally opposite to the principles of God's kingdom. And thus, they continuously wear themselves out, and after a number of years become weakened, expire, and have to be replaced. The devil himself knows this, and so in order to keep his work going on in the earth, he has to replace these empires from time to time, so that as one gets aged and starts to weaken, he raises up another one to topple it and take its place. Because the only thing he knows is warfare and bloodshed and violence and death. 
So there's an overthrow and a new empire takes the stage. That is how Satan continually perpetuates his earthly system of dominion and power going throughout history from empire to empire, from dominion to dominion. Because he has no other way. Sin is self-destructive and works out its own end. And so his government in itself is a failure by nature. It is. It can only fail. And so he must constantly be changing and replacing to keep things going. Thus, within the ranks of Satan's side, there is constant infighting to replace each other, to come to power, because all he knows is hate and selfish ambition. But as stated earlier, dear listener, the government of God's kingdom operates on an entirely opposite set of principles. Because God is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. And all God has been doing in working throughout history is seeking to groom a people and to clothe them in his righteousness. A people to whom he can impart his righteousness and who will walk before him in the obedience of faith. A people who will rightly represent him in this world as his kingdom moves forward and grows steadily. But because Satan doesn't like the advancing expansion of God's kingdom, he is constantly seeking to stamp it out. And so God's people constantly come under opposition and persecution from the kingdoms of this world as they are used and controlled by Satan. And thus we are caught up in a great cosmic battle between good and evil. Those who are standing for the good and those who are being used by the evil one. Those who are standing for truth and righteousness and those who are being used by the demonic powers that have taken hold of them. Yet in every age, the faithful people of God have always moved on steadily, despite persecution, steadily towards their final glorious reward. Yes, even under persecution. Now going back to the chapter, starting with the Lion of Babylon, all the way down to the great beast of Rome with its ten horns, just the duration of these four beasts, the lion, the bear, the leopard, and this dragon beast, just their duration, these four powers, covers over 1,000 years of human history. From the time of the prophet, looking forward into the future to the end of the fourth beast. But remember, out of the fourth beast comes a fifth, and it goes on until the end. Now Babylon, as we've said in an earlier study, came to power as a world power in 606 BC. That's before the time of Christ on earth. And this lion power, this lion was then later conquered by the bear of Medes and the Persians in 538 BC, which means that Babylon lasted on the top for 68 years before it was replaced. The bear of the Persian Empire was later defeated by the leopard with four wings, symbolized by the Greeks under Alexander the Great. Some say Alexander the Great fool. But nevertheless, this happened in 331 BC, which means that the Persians lasted in power for 207 years before Satan could not hold it together any longer and had to raise up a new power to take its place. The Greeks lasted for 163 years 
until 168 BC, when the Romans rose up hungry for power and defeated them. The Romans lasted all the way from 168 BC to 476 AD. This means they lasted from BC to AD, from before the time of Christ, when he lived on earth and was crucified and resurrected and ascended back to heaven, even until more than 300 years after Christ had resurrected and ascended to heaven. All of the work of Christ on earth took place during the time of Caesars of Rome, the Roman Empire. Rome was ruling then. So when Jesus was born into this world by Mary, the ruling Roman emperor was Augustus Caesar. We see that in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And when he was crucified 33 years later, the ruling Roman Empire was Tiberius Caesar. We see that in Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. So from the time that Daniel is seeing the lion as Babylon emerge out of the stormy seas all the way to the Roman Empire, and we've covered a span of human history of almost 1,100 years between these four empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. But eventually it came time for Rome to change over into a new phase, the religious phase. And that is why we see this little horn, this fifth power, emerging out of the head of the fourth beast. I'm going to explain this now to show how it was fulfilled in history and go on to see what this little horn paw will do, at least some of what it will do. Next week we'll see much more. But this is important, dear listener, because the Bible makes it clear that this little horn power will last all the way down to the return of Jesus Christ. So that means it applies to us all living in this late period of earth's history. All who are living upon the earth will have to deal with it and believe it or not, are dealing with it even now, but just don't know it. It will come clearer in the future. Nevertheless, the works of this power will become more and more open and show itself in evil such as never seen before, bringing upon the world a time of trouble such as never has been seen since there was a nation, as the Bible says. It will reign in the fullness of its power just before it comes crashing down. So it's important for us to know this so that we can really understand what's going on in the world and what is also to come, and which power is really behind it all, who is really behind it, because the Bible never makes a mistake, dear friend. Now, getting back to Daniel's vision, picking up where we left off last week, we saw that the vision that Daniel is seeing, it transcends all of world history, from his time down to the judgment and Christ steps in to establish his everlasting kingdom, as all earthly governments are brought to judgment and brought to their end. We also saw that Christ's everlasting kingdom is given to the people of God who had remained true and faithful to him. But then, before this happens, the prophet Daniel also saw things which must first come to pass in the world. Things that caused him great distress and consternation. So picking up at verse 15, Daniel 7 and verse 15, it reads, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. So he was very concerned about what all this meant that he was seeing in a vision. 
In fact, he was very anxious to know what was the meaning of it all, all that he was seeing. And so while in vision, he proceeded to seek an explanation from someone who was standing by in the vision. The next verse, verse 16, reads, I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. So the prophet is given an explanation, and thus the explanation is also transferred down to us in his writings. Now verse 17. These great beasts, which are four, this being is explaining to him now, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings, four kingdoms, which shall arise upon the earth. This means kingdoms which will come into existence, which will come into power and reign for a period of time during the span of human history. Verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. I say praise God. So here we see for a second time in this chapter that before going into the details of what this little horn will do, we are once again reassured, don't worry, it will all end up for good for the faithful people of God. In the end, the saints of the Most High shall possess the kingdom forever and ever. And one might wonder, why doesn't the prophet just get to the point and tell us what this little horn power that comes out of the Roman Empire will do? Remember, dear friends, that he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it is God who sees it necessary that we are doubly comforted and reassured before he reveals the career of this little horn power. Obviously, in a very cruel and deceptive way, this little horn will come up against the kingdom of God and against the people of God in a way that will far exceed that of the former powers before it. So at this point, the little horn power is the one upon which the prophet's attention is focused. This is that development of things that most concerns him. Thus, the next verse, verse 19. Then I wanted to know the truth of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. And verse 20, And of the ten horns that were in its head, and of the other which came up afterwards and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke very great things, whose look was more proud than the others. So in these verses, the prophet is saying, more than anything else, I wanted to know about the great beast with ten horns in its head, the Roman power, that is, and of the other little horn which grew out after the other ten horns had been there already, it came up after them and uprooted three of them when it grew out, and which had the eyes like a man and a mouth speaking blasphemous things. The prophet is saying, I was most curious about this. What did it all mean? He continues in verse 21. He says, I beheld, in other words, as I watched that same little horn made war against the saints and prevailed against them. 
In other words, he persecuted and caused many of them to be killed. They remained faithful unto death and thus laid down their lives in proof of their allegiance to the kingdom of truth, the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus said? Be thou faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. But notice that this little horn power continued its warfare against God's people until, as we saw in last week's study, God steps in for the judgment. Notice verse 22. So he says, I beheld until this power made war against the saints of God and prevailed against them. And no verse 22, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. In other words, given in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So there is much, much more to come. But before going deeper into it, God through the prophet once again pauses and says to us, understand that if you hold on to the truth and stay faithful to me, you will eventually be persecuted for it. Because the devil will be working through corrupt human religious institutions and governments, and he wants nothing more than to force you to deny my name and give up the truth to escape persecution for my name's sake. That is what God's saying to us. But then he says, but know for sure that the time comes when God will sit in judgment over this power and all who align themselves with it. They will receive their everlasting destruction. And only those who are faithful to me will inherit my everlasting kingdom. So again and again and again, we see where he diverts and comes back to this point. As if to say, it's going to get tough. It's going to get hard. All kinds of pressure and deceptions will be brought upon you to cause many to give up the truth and join the beast side in order to escape persecution. In other words, they will worship the beast. But he's saying to us, but stand firm. Stay loyal to God and to the truth which he has given us. Do not deny his name. For in the end, the tables will be turned suddenly. And all those who seem to be on the losing side will end up being the winners. The faithful people of God who would rather suffer persecution for his name's sake than to deny him will be rewarded with the everlasting kingdom. The saints shall possess the kingdom. You know, there must be a strong reason, dear listener, why this point is stated so many times in this chapter. So far, three times. And it will come again. And as we continue on to verse 23, the angel who is giving Daniel the interpretation and the vision, he continues to speak. Daniel 7 and verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be different from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. So this verse describes the great might of the Roman Empire as it conquered nation after nation, territory after territory, becoming the largest and the longest reigning empire in history. But there is more. Verse 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, that another is the little horn. And he shall be different from the first. In what way? It will be a religious power. 
And he goes on, and he shall subdue three kings. So as I mentioned last week, despite its might and its huge expanse and power, the Roman Empire would eventually be divided up into ten kingdoms, as represented by the ten horns that come out of the head of the great beast. As the empire expanded and spread itself out over other territories, rebellion and revolt started breaking out frequently in different parts of the empire. Nations wanted to be independent instead of paying homage to the Roman emperor. And so quite often, Rome found itself dispatching legions of soldiers to different regions of the empire to suppress these revolts. This started to drain the national resources. In addition to this, there was much political corruption, as in our day. Corruption which drained the public treasury, leading to high levels of inflation in Rome and social unrest back in the capital city and throughout the regions. There were power struggles going on for positions in government. The empire was beginning to decline. Rome was weakening. Prophecy was being fulfilled. By 410 AD, a nation of people called the Visigoths, under their leader named Alaric, invaded the city of Rome and caused havoc. The Roman military, which for hundreds of years seemed invincible, were now busy desperately trying to defend the empire. Forty-five years later, by 455 AD, again Rome was invaded this time by a powerful barbaric nation called the Vandals. They invaded, they pillaged and ransacked the city of Rome, taking with them many of the valuable treasures of the empire. Incidentally, that is where we get the word vandalism from. Now eventually others rose up and the vast Roman empire was eventually divided into ten separate kingdoms or Germanic tribes as they are called in history. The symbolism of the ten horns or powers coming out of the head of that fourth beast, which was shown to the prophet Daniel more than a thousand years before, was fulfilled exactly as God said it would. Rome was divided into ten. But wait, there is more, and it's even more interesting. Verse 24 again says, And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kingdoms that shall arise and another shall arise after them, that's the eleventh one, and he shall be different from the first ones, and he shall subdue three kings. So this latter part of verse 24 is showing us the emergence of that fifth power that will rule over the world, but in a different way. It says he shall be different. So Rome was broken up into ten kingdoms, and the empire is desperately trying to hold it together, to hold on to power. In this fallen world of selfishness and control, no one gives up power easily, whether king, queen, president, or prime minister. There is always a constant struggle to hold on to power till the very last. But the Bible had already prophesied that Rome, in some form or other, would be in power over the nations to the very end. How is this going to be? if the empire is falling apart. Will it be that the prophecy of God fails on this point? Friends, God's word never fails. So let's see how this happens. Much earlier, 
when there was infighting among politicians vying for power back in Rome, and Rome was fighting its many wars, the seat of government of the empire was moved to the eastern city called Constantinople, named after an earlier emperor named Constantine. The ten nations that Rome had been divided up into are recorded in history as number one, the Alemanni, number two, the Burgundians, number three, the Franks, number four, the Lombards, number five, the Saxons, number six, the Suevi, number seven, the Visigoths, number eight, the Heruli, number nine, the Vandals, and number 10, the Ostrogoths. Now, don't worry if you don't remember all of this. You just want to remember the major points. History records these as the 10 different nations into which the ancient Roman Empire was divided, even according to what God had before prophesied through the prophet Daniel. But you will notice that of these 10 kingdoms, three different times we're told in the chapter that as the little horn came up among the other 10 horns, it uprooted three of the other ten. In verse 8, it says that three of them were plucked up by their roots when the little horn rose up. In verse 20, it says three of them fell before it. And verse 24 says that when it arises, it shall subdue three kings. What does this mean? How did this happen? Even though they were separate nations, there was one thing that was still common among these breakaway nations their religion. In fact, when the city of Rome was threatened by an invasion, the head of the Roman religion, then known as the Bishop of Rome, was usually the one who was sent to lead a delegation to try to negotiate peace with the invading king. So the Roman Emperor Justinian decided upon the idea of trying to use the common religion as a means of unifying the empire back again. So having moved his seat to the eastern city of Constantinople, for the first time ever, the Roman emperor in the year 533 made a decree, in other words, a law, declaring the bishop of Rome to be the supreme head over all the churches of the ten nations into which the empire had been divided. This was an attempt to unify the nations back together. However, three of these nations opposed the decree and decided that they would not be ruled over by the Bishop of Rome. These were the Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. These were the three that stood in the way of the Bishop of Rome gaining supreme religious power. They had to be gotten rid of. What was the empire to do? They decided to use blackmail and diabolical schemes to create tension between the Heruli and the Vandals, getting them to go at war with each other. It was successful. So Rome used espionage and blackmail to set up two of these so that they ended up warring against each other, with the Heruli being defeated by the Vandals. Then the same tactics were used with the Ostrogoths now set up to war against the Vandals, eventually wiping them out. Then the general of the Roman army, his name was Belisarius at the time, he came in and wiped out the Ostrogoths in the year 538 AD. And every residue of the Vandals or Heruli that was left was wiped out. 
They couldn't have taken on all three nations all at once. So they used blackmail and, and trickery to get two to fight each other, wiping out one, then get the other one to fight the winner, wiping out that one, and then the Roman military was used to wipe out the third one that opposed the establishment of the Bishop of Rome as the head over all the churches of the empire. So the three were uprooted. They were plucked up by the roots, the Bible said. And that is why you can find no trace of these nations in the world today. The remaining seven kingdoms came under the control of the Bishop of Rome, who then took the seat of the former emperors in the Vatican in Rome and came to become the Pope or Father of the Church and has remained in this headquarters to this very day. The prophecy of its rise to power was fulfilled to the very letter. Of the ten horns, the seven that remained are the Alemanni, these later came to be known as the Germans, that's Germany. The Burgundians later came to be known as the Swiss, that's Switzerland. The Franks, the French. The Lombards later came to be known as the Italians. The Saxons, or you might have heard Anglo-Saxons, these became the English, the British. The Suevi are the Portuguese today. The Visigoths are Spain today. These are the seven remaining of the ten horns, and that is why all through the Middle Ages of history, they were under Catholic control in Europe. These are the seven nations of modern Europe. And history records these as the remaining seven of the ten different nations into which the ancient Roman Empire was divided, even according to what God had before prophesied through the prophet Daniel. But God also prophesied that they will never be reunited as before. There have been many attempts, dear friends, in history to do this, to reunite them. All have failed thus far. Charlemagne, the Catholic king of France, tried to use war to do so in the 8th century. He was attempting to establish the unification of the Holy Roman Empire, according to what they call it. He failed. Napoleon failed. Kaiser Wilhelm tried to do so with World War I, but failed. Hitler tried to do so with World War II, but failed. Today, you have a diplomatic arrangement called the European Union, even with a common currency called the Euro. Is this real unity? Has God's word failed? Not at all, dear friends. But there is much, much more to come. Much more. But not only in our studies in this chapter is there much more. We have seen the world suddenly changed and come under a worldwide lockdown much of the last two years. But I'll tell you this, all of that is merely a test run for a purpose. For the first time in world history, we see all the governments in every country cooperating on something. Why? Because there is one source behind them all that's directing things. They're taking orders. And we need to see this. It's all given in the Bible. Where that is concerned, there is much more to come also in that arena. And much of it will be of a different sort. And for most people, it will be quite unexpected. The whole world is being set up for something big, dear friends. But we won't even go there right now. In order to see it as it is, right now, we must first take our time and patiently seek to understand prophecy. 
so that tracing events through history, step by step by step by step, we will know for sure where we are in the present and what is up ahead and who will be behind it all. Because it is being done in such a way that you see people in the front lines, you see governments doing this, doing that, but they're all just the front page. There is a back page to it, and the Bible makes it clear. A woman rides the beast, Revelation 17. All that might seem mysterious to you now, but in time, it will be clear. But let's keep trusting in God, dear friends. God has given to us so much. So let us prayerfully seek for understanding in what he has revealed for our benefit. And keep in mind, as the prophet said, the wicked will not understand, but the wise will understand. As we approach the new year, we will be stepping out into the unknown. You do not know what is up ahead, but God does. So put your trust in him. Be encouraged, dear friends. And keep in mind that when it all comes to its end, the saints of God shall inherit the everlasting kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. May God tremendously bless you and keep you, and may his angels stand guard over your families and give peace and comfort to your souls. Love you all. Music